Welcome to the ValeoCon Commercial Excellence Podcast. Our guest today is Jeff Sassenhaus, and our topic is how to embed continuous improvement in commercial operations. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. For the benefits of our listeners, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure, and thank you for the opportunity and thanks for the time. So I'm Jeff Zazenhaus. I run commercial operations, in particular what we call field force operations for Novartis US across all three divisions. Yeah, I have the joy of working closely with a team of roughly 40 colleagues here, over 100 in our offshore location in India. Very good. Thank you. So we're talking about continuous improvement. Let's start with a definition. From your long-term practitioner background, how would you define it for our listeners? What is continuous improvement? For me, continuous improvement is much more around the heart and soul of the organization and how an organization and how the people within that organization approach their work. For me, it's much less around what the outputs of the function or mm -hmm. what the organization are. When I look at continuous improvement, what defines it for me is do we have a scientifically based way of thinking about how we do our work? And do we take appropriate action to drive the improvements that come from a scientific understanding of what our work is? If we're doing that collectively and we're doing that individually, then I would argue that we have a nice continuous improvement program in place that will not only impact relevant endpoints of the business, but give the folks on the team viable platforms for continued development, mm -hmm. give them purpose, give them meaning of what they do. So it's much more a mindset, a way of working than actually set of tools or set of proven practices. Yeah, I agree. It is much more. So for me, the way the tools come in is they give you a structure to embed the thinking. Mm -hmm. By using the tools over time, you establish habits. Those habits change your thinking as somebody on the job or even somebody outside the job. I think the second thing that the tools give you is they give you sort of the sinew that links together different parts of the organization and allows us to have common ways of working together, common ways of communicating, common ways of aligning what we see as the priorities the organization should be or the priorities for the function that we're driving. In most people know continuous improvement more from a manufacturing background where it has its origin. And I think you mentioned that. Why do you say it applies to commercial operations as well? I think you can apply continuous improvement mindset nearly anywhere. The great thing about manufacturing is that the deliverables for manufacturing are very tangible. You don't have to spend a lot of time defining whether or not you've produced parts, as an example, or produced output from a manufacturing setting. One of the things that I learned early on when I was trained to lean enterprise is how to look at a factory and understand whether or not they're executing lean. And you can figure that out pretty quickly, how much stuff, uncompleted stuff is lying on workspaces, how much parts are lying around, how the people are moving. So the manufacturing world gives you a viable connection to continuous improvement concepts and tools that are harder to get out of a service. Now the reason why you can take a service like commercial operations and think about it in a continuous improvement way is because fundamentally you still are doing work. And fundamentally because you're doing work, you have a mindset that applies to how you get that work done. That mindset doesn't really care what your work is. So if you think about it from the people out, it still is the same. I think what ends up being different in a commercial operations world is being able to put parameters around what the work is and what the end products are. For me, that's one of the struggles is getting people to have or to establish on their own minds individually, but more important, collectively, what that tangible output of mm -hmm. a commercial operations process is, especially since it's not a widget that everybody can hold and have a common right. relationship with. Give me an example for how you help people understand that, yeah, we're not producing widgets here, but... Yeah, it's a good question. I think that one of the key concepts in a lot of continuous improvement ways of thinking is important here. 
and in particular, I have a lean background, so that comes through, is that one of the things that you say in lean is that your job is to eliminate waste. A definition of waste is anything the customer won't pay for. And the basic thinking behind that is that at the end of the day, your job as an enterprise is to find out how to best serve your customer. Mm -hmm. So if you take that and you translate that to a commercial operations setting, many of our customers are sales leaders or they're franchise leads. So we know that we can define what are the end products or the deliverables that the mm -hmm. customer needs in order to be successful. One of the things that's easy for us to do, for instance, is to say, okay, we need to deliver incentive compensation goals to a commercial leader. That is an end product. That is a deliverable. That's actually kind of easy to say. But what matters is how do you define what a good goal is, the same way you would define how do you know what a good car is if you're Toyota. That's the key point, and that's where you need to use the same thinking, which is work with your customer to find the end product. Mm -hmm. Where it gets interesting is that if you have a commercial operations organizations such as the one I'm lucky to be engaged with, where you have different functions that consider themselves customers in the SIPOC sense. And then you start to have to ask questions around in order to play well within a commercial operations function. How do I, on the upstream of a process, so for instance data management, define a deliverable that can be used by downstream users such as incentive operations or field reporting? Mm -hmm. That's where it starts getting a little bit trickier because it ends up being a bit more of a negotiation between a customer and a supplier than a customer that's already got fairly well-defined needs that you might only be able to change on the margin. Right. Give me some examples. You're doing this for many years already of successes that you've achieved. Yeah, I think for me, uh, you know, as I think about this a little bit, again, I always go back to the continuous improvement and I say to myself, how have we changed the mindset? That's sort mm -hmm. of the ultimate success. And I think that when you go back and look at successes, you're often going back and asking yourself what the failures were because the successes often come out of those failures. You know, one of the successes I would point out is a recent challenge we had with one of the franchises around having the ability to deliver incentive compensation goals on time. For me, the success is the from to. The from for us was if we couldn't deliver a quality goal on time, we started the blame game. So we would start identifying people that we didn't think would deliver. And of course, the easiest targets are the folks that are nine and a half hours away, which is our offshore team in India. They're the first ones you can throw up. And oftentimes, the way that we got the work done in that kind of environment is heroics. You work all weekend until you get it out and you get it done, and then sort of use your time Monday through Friday to scream at people or blame people. Obviously, it's a very harsh characterization, but the key themes are correct. The two is understanding that our challenges are an indication that we don't fully understand our processes. And it's even a step further back because you could say, hey, Jeff, you're a continuous improvement guy. Shouldn't you be saying you have a gap in your process you have to improve? But it's hard to improve something that you don't have articulated and stable. For us, it was really a matter of let's go back and look at the processes, find out the things that we don't know, and then use the team's work to assault the process. So we moved from looking at ourselves and finding enemies inside of ourselves to finding an enemy, in a sense, in a process. Yeah, you blame the process, not the people, right? Correct. Yeah. You blame the process, not the people. You attack the problem, not the individual right. people. And that, for us, was a huge milestone, that particular event, because of the way that we handled it. It was so different than we had in the past. And it helped us all recognize that when we don't do something, it's an opportunity to sit back and understand the process. Mm -hmm. And I see people doing that individually and collectively without a lot of prompting for me. At the end of the day, that's what you want as somebody who's leading a continuous improvement organization. You do it at a little bit want to make yourself irrelevant. Right. And you said the big objective is obviously 
changing the mindset, right? But right. in order to change a mindset, very often you probably change behavior first, right? And then new behaviors lead you to a new way of thinking in a way. So maybe talk a little bit more about what you typically do as a first step when you come into a new organization, you want to establish that mindset. How do you change the behaviors? What do you do? It's a good question because I've tried doing it in different ways and I haven't really found anything that I thought was particularly inspired or successful around what worked. So in other words, I've tried coming in saying I'm going to bring in a continuous improvement coach and they're going to drive 15 projects and we're going to drive it that way. I've also tried introducing coaching and introducing tools. And I think the problem with those approaches is that they lack the emotional and intellectual urgency of a crisis. And it's interesting that we're having this conversation because I'm now starting to connect the experience I just described with where I've seen Lean approached in the past is, you know, my experience at Lean first started when I worked at Thermo Fisher Scientific long ago. And we drove a successful Lean transformation in a service operations and in a factory in part because the factory was not performing. By any standard, mm -hmm. the factory was not performing, nor was the service organization. And the call to action was obvious. The temptation to revert to the blame game, the working over the weekends was there, just the same as the one that I described. So as I think about it, I think the successful approach is you've got to find that crisis that forces you to realize you need a different way to do it. And then you need to guide the team through that. So my role in this, as much as I wanted to be relevant to that one crisis that we had, my role in it was to help guide the team towards understanding what the failure was showing us and try to model behavior that I expected everyone to display themselves. So a lot of folks said, I'm surprised you didn't get mad. And I said, I'll be honest, I'm a human being. I did get mad. And a couple of times I had to state what my emotion was just so I could get past it and also make it safe for you guys to recognize that we can move on. So I think it's important to model that. I would argue, to answer the question as I sort of go through my thinking, is the way to start a CI program is you've got to find a good crisis. I mean, I wouldn't create one, but you're going to be most effective yeah. if you can find one. And it's got to be specific and emotional. I think that this wouldn't have worked if the crisis were, hey, I committed to the board that I would do the work that we're doing in $8 million and we're spending 10. So the board's problem is $2 million. Therefore, you guys, your problem is $2 million. I mean, that's not a specific and meaningful problem statement for people working in a commercial operations function. Now, if you tell them, look, you come to work every day to deliver good goals and good goals on time and you didn't, right? That strikes right and to the heart. Complaining. Right. Yeah, these people right. get that. Nobody wants to upset a customer. Nobody right. wants to think they're not doing their job. Nobody wants to think they're not satisfying their purpose. So I think it has to be the right thing. I can tell you when the factory was having troubles, we could see all the product coming back. I mean, it was very apparent to everybody who worked there that it was not working. And again, it struck to their core. Mm -hmm. It wasn't somebody in a board that wasn't getting their savings target. You pointed to the, the role of the leader, and as much as you want to establish that mindset and therefore at one point want to be redundant from a leadership perspective. I think there is still a pretty important role of leadership in establishing and sustaining such a program. What do you think is the main important aspects of leadership that to make it work? I think there's a few parts. I think one is modeling. I remember one of the things that I learned that I didn't connect with initially was this concept of leader standard work within Lean, which is that if you want folks to follow standard work when they're building a product, if you're running the factory, you should have your own standard work as to how you do your job as a leader. It didn't resonate with me at the time, and in part it doesn't still, because I don't think that the formalism of the tool matters. I think what matters is the mindset you illustrate. And if you ask folks to take on a scientific mindset, but you're running off making emotional decisions left, right, and center, it's not going to stick. I 
think the second thing is that the way that corporations work, whether it's my company or any others, is that they're tribal fundamentally. And you know what that means is that they tend to be organizations of people working with people. So you tend to see the blame game. You tend to see a lot of thinking, which scientifically is hard to justify. So I think that whenever you're driving a continuous improvement project, you have to recognize that you're probably going to be an island within a broader organization. And you have to somehow become that protective husk around the island as a leader. And there's a number of tools, a number of strategies you'd have to apply in order to do that. Mm -hmm. As a recommendation for other leaders, what should they be aware of potential barriers, resistance to face? And do you have tips for how to overcome those? I think for me, the biggest stress point I see, and it goes back to my comment about being the protective husk, is that there's often a difference in expectations around timing. And what I mean by that is, let's just say I do have a problem with delivering IC goals on time to an organization. For them, if I once I miss that target date, let's say the target date was delivering on May 1st, once I miss that date, every single day they want the goals. They're going to have a very hard time hearing that it's going to take me three weeks to deliver the goals to them. And three weeks is probably the right answer. One of the worst things I could do as a leader, whether or not I believe in the continuous improvement, is promise them tomorrow. Because mm -hmm. I'm either promising something that can't possibly be delivered upon, or I'm asking folks to work 24 hours to get it done, which is a leadership failure of another kind. So the problem that I think you run into a lot is aligning and defining on time scales with people who are outside the organization who A, may not be very familiar with the work, and B, may not be very familiar with, or frankly, even have a lot of sympathy with the changes you're trying to make and how the work is getting done. That, for me, has always been the challenge. I think it's a systemic issue with running a continuous improvement program in a broader organization. I think there are a lot of folks that may have good treatments for that issue, but I doubt there's a cure. Yeah, no, it will always be, to a certain extent, a challenge to face. So maybe last question, why is it still worth the effort? Yeah, I think it's coming full circle to really how I thought about it. So I, I'll be completely honest, I oftentimes have a difficult time myself fully aligning with the importance of the output of deliverables of an organization. And I know this sounds silly. You know, we have customers and the customers need stuff. I have a hard time getting fully motivated around the widgets that we have coming up, but I can get motivated very, very much so by the people who are doing the work. I think that for me, what it comes down to is the value of changing the mindset of the individual people, of getting the people to operate in a fundamentally different way. I think it is working on the how of something is far more important than the what. I think it's the right thing for the company. And I think that for the individual, it's the right thing because we build skills and competencies up that are translatable. Mm -hmm. Finally, I think many people identify the purpose of their being in a company with the satisfaction they find from the work. And I think that if you can give them satisfaction around how they're doing the work and how they think, that's very sustainable. Mm -hmm. So it's really about how work gets done much more than what you actually do. And in that sense, what I hear from you is it's a talent development opportunity. Yeah, it's a people development opportunity. Companies will always be agglomerations of people. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And the, and the good thing is that if you develop your people, you develop your ability to get the work done. So for me, that's the starting point. If you get 15 people in the room who do continuous improvement, they'll probably all look at it through different lenses. And for me as a former scientist, the people lens still feels new and exotic to me, but it is how I've found meaning in what I do. Because I see meaning in it myself, it makes it easier for me to communicate to other folks. Very good. Thank you, Jeff. Really pleasure to have you on the podcast. If you like this, then please also check out the other episodes of our Commercial Excellence podcast. Thank you. Thank you.